Welcome to Cancer Casually. I'm your host, Lindsay DeLong, and I'm the managing editor of The Fullest. I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 33 when my boyfriend found a lump and made me go get it checked out. A year and a half later, I'm now cured, healthy, and can kind of talk about it all without crying. Each week, I interview inspiring survivors who have come out on the other side of cancer or who are still battling it. We'll talk about our lives before, during, and after cancer and share what we've learned so that our listeners can look at their own lives through a new perspective, whatever that may be. Here's not just how to live with cancer, but how to be there for someone and how to cope as a co-survivor because it's not just a disease that affects you, it affects everyone around you. With this podcast, we hope to inspire others to grasp life no matter what comes at you, and always live it to the fullest. Thanks for listening today. I'm here today with someone that I met on Instagram. Um, (laughs) I've already cried just meeting her like (laughs) two times. But um, anyways, I met her on Instagram when I was going through cancer. And because she had like the best wig on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) And so I messaged her and I asked her where she got the wig and you told me. And it was a Renee of Paris wig. And I just got obsessed with them all and ended up getting so many. But you were just so beautiful with your wig, and then when you were go wigless, you were equally as beautiful, and you're just, you've been on the most insane journey, and I can't believe I get to meet you in real life. Uh, Megan, how do you say your last name? Cruz Marzik. Cruz Marzik, <laughs> um, messenger bird on Instagram. She's so fun to follow, and um, just, you are an artist, an amazing artist, and you are going through currently, um, like, I just want to hear your whole story. You started breast cancer with me at the same time, and now you, leukemia, and <laughs> just, you, you it's talk been a whirlwind. <laughs> it's been, it's been a little bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Tell me from the beginning, what, how old were you when you were diagnosed with breast cancer? Yeah, I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 31. Okay. And it was really strange because I'd always been really healthy my entire life, right? I never went to the doctor, really obsessed over Mm -hmm. needing to go to the doctor. My mom is a fitness instructor. Like, I've always just been, you know, really healthy. I haven't had to consider any of that. Yeah. Um, And one day I found a lump in my left breast, and I, I thought for a little bit, maybe it was just hormonal. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, we get things in our breast tissue all the time. It's yeah. probably totally fine. Um, my grandma had breast cancer a couple of times. Oh. And not long after I had felt it, I went on a family trip with her to Savannah, Georgia. And I had her feel it. And she just, like, looked at me. And the look in her face was, she just knew. And oh. I just knew. And... It was really interesting on that trip because I was supposed to have gone to a mammogram before I went on that trip. And because I had a gut feeling that it was not, that it was going to probably be something that I was not, it was not going to not be nothing. Yeah. Um, 
I put it off, Oh wow! <laughs> which is nothing that I do now. Right. Yeah. Um, were you, um, getting proactive mammograms before? Did oh yeah. You just, oh, oh yeah. You had, I've always been okay. like super proactive about like my gynecological health, like mm-hmm. breast exams, all of that. Um, I don't have the BRCA gene, so it wasn't, um, like a family. Mm-hmm. There's always a familial link when it comes yeah. to any kinds of like breast cancer. Um, but there, I don't have the BRCA gene. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't as hyper, Oh, you know, aware of that. Yeah. Um, and so I, yeah, I was always really good about just taking care of myself. So it was such a shock when that happened. Um, and I just remember being in Savannah and we went to the beach one day and we went out to the ocean and I just remember like swimming as far as I, as I could get. Mm-hmm. I swam and I swam and I swam and I just felt nothing below my feet and I like floated on my back for a while and I stared at the sky and I just knew like wow. everything was going to change. Yeah. Your whole life. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it was just a really interesting trip and to experience that I came back and I immediately got a mammogram mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, okay, we gotta, we gotta do this. You gotta like, you can't ignore it forever. Did that. And, um, I had a really amazing breast cancer oncologist. He is, probably in his late thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I was 31 young. when I was diagnosed. Uh-huh. He's in his late thirties. He came from Sloan Kettering, really amazing cancer researcher. And was he just someone that you initially found right away or did you interview? I was people? recommended to the clinic okay. to a totally different doctor. Uh-huh. And that doctor was booked and they said, Hey, why don't you go with this guy? And I'm like, I don't know about this guy, but sounds fine. Yeah. You know, he seems cool. So went to him and we've since become friends. Like we get wine together and he's a really lovely person. Um, And he basically, he really listened to my needs Mm -hmm. in that situation. And so I was able to get in and do fertility treatment before I started chemo, which a lot of women are not offered. Yeah. Or or just. Or have the ability to do that because they have to go to treatment right Mm -hmm. away. So I was able to do my fertility treatment first and then went through four rounds of the AC. Um, you know, we call it the red devil, yeah, right? Yeah. So um, for, real quick, what type of breast cancer was it? Um, so it was um, HER2 positive, uh-huh. um, estrogen positive. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, <laughs> I was like, of course, we, we couldn't just like, yeah. you know, it's great that it was estrogen positive, you know, yeah. estrogen positive because there's a lot more, I feel like treatments and options around that, but yeah. the HER2 on the top her of that too, yeah. meant that it was a lot more aggressive, yeah, right? That's what I got too. Is yours, um, progesterone positive as well? Is it triple positive or triple positive? Okay. Triple positive. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's the same. That's why we became Instagram exactly. friends. <laughs> yeah. So the treatment plan that he laid out for me obviously was, okay. He looked at me and he said, I want to basically throw everything at you because you're young and you can take it. And I want you to live for a long time. Okay. So we did the most and I went through my rounds of, you know, like the four rounds of the massive chemo that just completely makes all your hair fall out. It's like the thing that, you know, obviously is the the killer in the beginning. Yeah. Um, How often do you do red devil? Is it once a week? Is it every three weeks or if I'm remembering, I think it was like every three weeks. Okay. I okay. think. And yeah. then going into like doing the, the taxol mm-hmm. and then going through immunotherapy. So he was really at the forefront of advocating for 
doing two different kinds of immunotherapies, the Progetta and the Herceptin, okay. which was very new research, had just confirmed at the time that having both yeah. was better than just having one. Yes. So he, we did all of that. I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction and did not have to get any radiation because the lymph nodes, they took three lymph nodes out on the left side and they didn't detect any cancer. Okay. Um, so the radiation would have only lowered my chance of ever recurrence by a few percentage points okay. so low that it didn't really outweigh the risks. So did you have any lymph node or any cancer in the lymph nodes at all? No, the they didn't okay. find any after all of my treatment, Okay, which was great. Yeah. Um, there was like a secondary lump that they just couldn't pinpoint whether or not it was, a, they, they didn't really know whether or not it was cancer. So they put me in stage two because they thought that maybe it was the beginning of something happening um, versus like the primary tumor, right? So with the, I had a really amazing surgeon to, you know, do my mastectomy. I had a really amazing plastic surgeon do my reconstruction. All of that went really well. So I got through all of this and, you know, I was like, okay, we've, we've done this. Yeah. Right. How, how, um, when did you finish breast cancer? When was your last, was it, did you do Herceptin for a year? I did. Okay. Yeah. So I did the immunotherapies for a full year. Uh Um, and that would have been a year and a half ago. Okay. And that felt great. I was working for a fitness company at the time. I felt like I had a lot of supportive women around me there advocating for me as I was going through this treatment. And what ended up happening is that as I was going into surgery, (laughs) I had my boyfriend at the time break up with me. Mm. Um, I was laid off from my job and like a, a layoff with a, a number of other women, mm-hmm. um, one of which was going through her own, you know, health things at the time. Yeah. Why was the company just downsizing and needing to let people go or? That's, you know, the reason that they gave and, yeah. you know, wow. um, so, and then on top of that, going into something that was just majorly affecting my your body, body. Right? yeah, your whole look and everything. Yeah. Was I the, mean, this was the mastectomy? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, I was going into having my breasts chopped off. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it was, it was a series of events that my entire reality, my entire just life completely just crashed down. Yeah. For you know? the second time. Cause it did when you got breast cancer. Right. It felt like that. And then having this. Well, and when I was diagnosed, you know, I thought, okay, like we can just do this. Yeah. You know, when I'm encountered with like a hard, something difficult, mm-hmm. I, I just kind of bear down and I do it. Mm-hmm. And I think all of the other emotional ramifications of losing a job, losing a partner I really loved, and then having to like grapple with just everything that was going on with my body. Mm-hmm. When you're focus on something and trying to get through something and doing it in like the healthiest way possible and trying to stay really strong. It's really hard when like so much of your identity and the things that like are close to your heart. Yeah. All change at once. And so the healing process out of that, um, took a long time, Mm -hmm. right? Because it wasn't the physical healing was probably the most positive thing because I was lucky enough to have a reconstruction and a mastectomy that 
didn't go bad, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. a lot of, which is surprising. A lot of it. Right. I mean, bad, I, yeah. I have a stepsister who she had a, a double mastectomy as well when she found out she had breast cancer and her, she, it did not go well. Mm. I had another woman I met her, one of her breasts like ended up getting infected. So they had to do another, um, they had to replace it with another implant, Yeah, you know? And so I was lucky enough on the physical side to maintain my energy because I kept like working out, Mm -hmm. um, to have gone through all these surgeries and get through them and recover pretty quickly. But I think it's the, the heart side of things and the emotional side of things are the things that yeah, take the most time. They to take heal. the most time and they need the most care and they need the most grace. Mm-hmm. And that is hard to give yourself when you just want to heal and be done and bookend something and go, okay, I want to move on now. Mm-hmm. And these things linger. Yeah. Right? Was the relationship ending on good terms or was it a bad breakup? Or? Oh, it was devastating. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely devastating. It was like absolutely heart wrenching. Mm-hmm. You know, and why was it? Did it have to do with him not being able to deal with what you were going through, or was it just too much, too hard on the relationship? I think when I think it's a combination of factors. It's really understanding Mm -hmm. that not everyone, when they say "I love you," is saying the same thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, you know. And, um, when I was saying, I love you to this person, I was thinking something completely different than he was. Right. Um, and I, I think at the end of the day, it was probably something that was to, he wanted something that was just kind of fun. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Something that wasn't like emotionally taxing for yeah. him. Something that he didn't have to support. Yeah. Um, something that he was like, can you just be okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without having to really give much support to me. Yeah. You something know? like cancer. I mean, that's <laughs> something that people, married people, you know, it, 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 it affects oh, everyone. And yeah. it breaks up marriage is it something it's one of the hardest things for any couple to go through absolutely and so if you have a partner that's not in it forever you know it just can break yeah and you have to I mean there are a lot of really amazing qualities about this partner the fact that he knew I had breast cancer when he started dating me oh he and, did yes oh, okay. yeah he we started dating maybe like two or three chemos in oh wow that's interesting yeah on our first date I wore a hat because my hair started falling out. I was like, I was like, I had met this guy. I was like, okay, we're going to go on a date. I kept looking at my hair in the mirror and I'm like, freaking fall out <laughs> right before this date. And it did. Oh God, I was like, hilarious. no, come on, come on. So I wore this like cute pink hat and we went on this date and I hadn't told him yet. And then we like sit down on this park bench and you know, he's about to like kiss me for the first time. And he's trying to take off my hat. And I'm just like, I, you know, I don't think that's a good idea. He's like, did you get a bad haircut? It's like, kind of. This is an awkward thing to reveal on a first date, but I have breast cancer and I am going through chemo right now. So I'm losing my hair because of that. Wow. And I kind of thought because he was like so chill with it at the time that it was fine. Yeah. Um, and I think for him, 
knowing him as I do now, it was, he did like the best that he could in that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, cause you don't always know the reality of something up front, like going through like an illness with someone or whatever until later sometimes mm-hmm. like all of the, and how you respond to it and how you cope with it and how you can support a partner. And I think some people are just not as capable as others yeah. of in a healthy way, not only supporting themselves through that, but also their partner. Yeah. I talked to my um, oncologist about this. He was like, it's interesting. A lot of times what he sees is that partners, especially like straight male partners often, um, six months later, they'll have a ent- total break because they've had to stay so strong and mm-hmm. steady throughout that he has seen partners go into complete like psychoses before wow. people break up, people cheat on their partners, they act out, um, they get really depressed, they get really angry mm-hmm. because they carry these emotions all the way through because they're trying to be a rock, right? You can only be a rock for so long. Yeah. You're a person. You have a lot of other intricate layers. Um, it's a learning process for both parties, I feel like, because no one knows. Like you as the cancer patient don't know how to, what you're about to go through. No, and we don't, we don't get like this like, if you get cancer when yeah. you're 31, <laughs> yeah. here's the curriculum for it. Yeah. Here's how to go through it in yeah. a really, really healthy way. And here's what your boyfriend should do. Like yeah. it, it's a learning experience for them too. It's me and my boyfriend went through it too. And we broke up for a while too, because it got horrible. Like yeah. I was mad and at the world and at him and he didn't know how to take it. And it's, we broke up for a while. Yeah. 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 You're trying to process a lot of emotions, right? And I would say coming from like a family that has always advocated for going to therapy and talking about like your stuff in like a healthy way and managing your emotions in a healthy way and all of that kind of stuff. um, You have this idea that you're going to be okay, that you can get through that in a healthy way, that you're, that somehow you don't have to feel it all as bad, (laughs) right? Because you've taken other steps to like approach these things in like a healthier way. But what I was noticing is that in my interactions with my ex-partner is that I was, I was caring so much that in moments where I was not as like guarded Mm -hmm. and feeling like I could like let go and talk about things. I was just unloading on him Mm -hmm. as if he was my therapist, Yeah, which we can't, you want to have healthy communication with your partner, Mm -hmm. but it can't be constant. You know, your partner's not your therapist, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And by talking about it ad nauseum, this other person is still not going to be able to fix the things that you are going to have to go through Mm -hmm. and figure out and process. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing to grapple with when you just want everything to be okay and you want to feel okay and you don't want to have to feel these things. Yeah. And you don't know where it comes from sometimes. Yeah. Like, I don't know sometimes where the sadness comes from. Yeah. I don't know where the melancholy comes from. I don't know where, like, the anger comes from sometimes. Yeah. Because I try to be as positive and, like, strong and, like, celebrate the fact that I've been able to get through all of this and that I have really amazing people around me. And so when I'm faced with these like emotions that I'm like, I don't want them to have a place in my life. What I've realized is that instead of dealing with them proactively, 
and being like, okay, I can feel that I'm getting melancholy. I'm going to give my space for this. I'm going to do more self-care. What I had tended to do was ignore them, which is really against my nature to do, but really just be like, that's temporary. It's not really affecting me. I'm totally fine. They'll go away. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when there are people that love you that are around you and they know you, they can feel those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? And it creates an environment where you're like, I'm fine. I'm trying to, like, set peace. They're looking at you from the outside and going, there's no way you are possibly fine. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And it's just really hard to give yourself grace in those moments when it's like, that's the thing you need to do the most. Yeah. In order to, like, just maintain the the peace that you want and to process things in a healthy way. Yeah. So, um, did you go through therapy while you were going through this at all or what I noticed about myself just going through Mm -hmm. any kind of medical things then and now is that I want things to just feel normal. Mm -hmm. So I push myself to feel normal. Okay. Let's just be normal. Let's just like make this look super effortless, you know? Um, And so I didn't go through therapy when I was going through breast cancer, Uh right? And I really didn't go to therapy after. And it's only very recently that I got a therapist and I'm, I'm like, we got We got to do this. Yeah. Right. Like you can't just handle it all on your own. Well, you sound like you, (laughs) you, it sounds like the therapist has really (laughs) put some good knowledge in here. Well, told, I mean, I do think that I know, you can know all these things objectively, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you yeah, can talk yeah, about yeah. these things. And I do it's think easier said than I done. communicate and process things in a healthy way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I, I think that we have to recognize that, like, there are resources and people out there that we need mm-hmm. to help us do that and that we can't do it all on our own. Yeah. Um, and the, our friends and our partners and our loved ones want to be there and love us. But it's not all about us all the time. And they have their own lives. Mm-hmm. And they are only so equipped to meet our needs in every single way. Yeah. You know, without feeling completely overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, or resentful or whatever. Yeah. It's so hard because it goes from like you're in this romantic relationship, having fun, like doing all the fun things that you want to do, right? Do. Yeah. yeah. To being in a relationship where... A, they could become your caretaker or your therapist or just you're not as fun as you used to be anymore. And it's yeah, like, and it's how? like the thing that you you don't want to make them that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, you're like, I, I don't want you to have to like feel like you have to take care of me all the yeah. time. I don't want you to feel like I'm like laying so much stuff on you all the time. Yeah, But it, it happens. And so, you know, I, I guess um, the thing I would just like, recommend is just taking, making sure that as you are like taking care of your body, Mm -hmm. that in order to truly be able to like celebrate once you've survived something, gone through it, you know, like done your treatment and everything that being able to feel emotionally healed or healing is so important. Mm -hmm. So trying to like weave some of that in as well can seem really overwhelming because you're faced with so much. But if there's any way that you can incorporate really healthy self-care techniques, whether it's 
doing yoga or like like meditation every day, Mm -hmm. even a 10 minute meditation to like lower your stress a little bit and focus you. Um, and getting just the like therapist. That stretching and it's so good for you. Exactly. Even for 10 minutes. Yeah. You're right. And also at the same time, having a lot of grace within that environment mm-hmm. and asking for people around you to have a lot of grace as well. Mm-hmm. And just to recognize that you are trying your hardest. Yeah. And that that effort is like, you know, you're doing your best yeah. at all times. You really are. So what, okay, so we were talking about the mastectomy, you lost your job, the boyfriend, (laughs) like, how did you bounce back after that? Like, was it the yoga? Was it the self-care? Was it how, what, what did you do? I just kind of powered through it. Uh And then I felt, I worked out, was really active. I got out and I kind of started to process all of the loss and, you know, the heartbreak and everything by hiking. Okay. I wrote a, a poetry book and the title is called Running Away From Home because I've lived in so many different places in my life and, the, and I typically feel the most secure or the most engaged when I'm like on the road, mm-hmm. when I'm like running away from home, when I'm going to someplace new, when I'm just, ha- you know, in constant motion and, and you're in Portland now. Where, I am. Okay, yeah. where are you originally from? So I was born in Hawaii. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I only stayed there for a little while. Um, born in Hawaii, moved to Kansas, moved to Indiana, moved to North Carolina, moved to Illinois, oh moved to God. Arizona, moved to Oregon. Okay. Well, <laughs> and I chose over. Oregon, right? So yeah. I've been there for, I think, a decade now. And it was like the first time where I was like, okay, this is my home base. And yeah. it really truly has become that. That's become like the, the home that I've picked. Yeah. Right. I know a ton of people there. I have a great network. Um, I could do a lot of fun things there. Um, but you know, when I was kind of recovering from all of my breast cancer, the thing that like helped me process a lot of stuff was going on hikes, you know, going on drives, like just going Mm -hmm. and writing helped, you know, being able to channel all of these things into, a creative project, yeah. like my poetry. And your artwork. I mean, that really picked up, didn't it? It did. Yeah. yeah. And I would say definitely throughout that, it it helped to continue to form my aesthetic and mm-hmm. used art as a, a healing tool. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, that was a really positive thing. Yeah. And do you think the fact that you stayed active throughout chemo and all your treatments has kind of um, helped with your activeness, like with you being able to go out and do a hike. I mean, lots of people on chemo just want to sit because they're tired and chemo is so hard on your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, (laughs) my boyfriend will, he's, he chills me out quite a bit. Like mm-hmm. he's much more chill than I am, which is really <laughs> nice to have. Yeah. And, you know, I'll come in sometimes and be like, babe, I'm going to chill tonight. And he's like, babe, your chill is like not chill. Like <laughs> yeah. you still do stuff. Cause I'll come in and I'll be like, let's have a relaxing night. Let's make art together. Or like do these <laughs> things. And he's like, I want to watch a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is what normal people do to relax. <laughs> um, okay, that's what I do. You know, I have, I just have a ton of energy. That's great. And I also don't 
give myself a lot of slack. Yeah. So there's also <laughs> that. It's like a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. Um, I do think that working out from a really young age, mm-hmm. eating well, um, I, you know, I think all of that, continuing to walk and do runs when I could, mm-hmm. but recognizing moments when I, I couldn't do them because I wasn't, yeah. I needed to rest or whatever. But I, I do, I have told this to people over and over again that if you can even get up and like walk like a mile a day and it can be slow, yeah. <laughs> you know, or if you can do yoga for like 10 minutes, stretch, mm-hmm. whatever, that activity completely to me, like completely got me through my treatment in a way that it didn't come like slay me mm-hmm. as much as it could have. Yeah. And I also think that having breast cancer when you're younger, there are some advantages to it versus older. Uh, because at 31, like I being a really active fit person, mm-hmm. obviously I'm going to have a lot more energy Yeah. and my body's going to heal a lot faster. Yeah me, you know, me personally, but I have seen that with other people than, you know, someone who's older maybe. Yeah. Um, but everybody is, everybody's body is different. And mm-hmm. it's like recognizing that not everybody is going to be on the same energy level. Yeah. Your body's not going to respond the same way someone else's body's going to, you know, that's what I tell people all the time. I'm five months out of a bone barrel transplant. Yeah. You know, like spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and I ran four miles the other day. Oh and my gosh. I was telling somebody that and they're like, I didn't even like walk like a mile today. Yeah. And I'm like, that's fine. For me, I had to do that. I know my body. Like that's how I process things and get through things. And like, I want to stay fit. Yeah. There are days when I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And it's also having so much grace and like love for yourself in those moments and not comparing yourself to other people that have gone through treatment or are healing from treatment or whatever. Yeah. Just like looking at yourself and recognizing like what an amazing thing you just did. Yeah. And how monumental it was. And if you can't go out and like be as active or you need to like stay in bed for right now. That's okay. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's also challenging yourself going through this to stay active in some way because it does help to mitigate the depression. It helps to like, it helps you feel strong on your body and like you're moving forward. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, before we get into the second chapter, (laughs) I want to, um, I mean, we met on Instagram and also just kind of what you were just saying, um, like comparing to other anyone else and and also like in our like kind of like cancer community on Instagram there's so much um there's so many people out there that do get breast cancer it's surprising and so many young people Mm -hmm. so how and and you're very active on Instagram how has Instagram helped you or not helped you? Like, has it, is, there's two sides, obviously, to it. Oh, yeah. Do you find that it's more helpful having this community of people that are rooting for you? Or do you find, because sometimes I'm, like, looking at people, I'm like, she just ran four miles today. I didn't do that, you know? And yeah. so do you feel, like, how do you look at social media 
with cancer. And it's also really sad because a lot of people don't lose their battle, you know? That is the other side of it, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's a few, I think, different angles to look at. One is that I've been able to connect with people who have been able to share their story in a really inspiring, really constructive way. Yeah. Um, and by constructive, I mean they have been able to show both sides, all sides of what they've gone through, and be able to do it in such an honest way, mm-hmm. but also in like a celebratory way. And I think the way that they've portrayed their story um, has helped me be able to celebrate when I feel really strong and then be able to accept and be okay with like when I don't have yeah. like a great day. Yeah. The other side of it is, you know, when I first got breast cancer, um, I had a girlfriend who had gone through breast cancer or was in the process and she was very research focused, mm-hmm. right? So she immediately... She's very resource focused, like it like helped her in her journey. And she sent me links to like these Facebook groups. Well, those are scary. I'm in those all the time. <laughs> they're really, they can be really scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can be places where people, instead of getting a therapist or mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, like figuring out other healthier ways of kind of dealing with their things or, or talking about them, um, can really create kind of like a, a culture of fear mm-hmm. around what we're all going through and create these situations where the way that somebody asks a question or they respond to somebody can, I think, really set some people back. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you'll read posts, you know, from people that will say, yeah, my you know, so-and-so lost their battle today. Yeah. And there will just be a string of comments and go, you know, and everybody will talk about, like, how, how sad that is. And, and I would just sit there and go, what happened to them? <laughs> like, yeah. like what, what do I need to, like, keep on my radar yeah. for that not to hap- happen to yeah. me? Yeah. It wasn't concrete. And it also was a lot of, like, because so many people on those are so scared. Mm-hmm. And they don't have as great of a support system. They use that as their support system, but it creates a lot of just talking amongst ourselves yeah. and all like just feeding off of like the fear. Yeah. And what and not their in a constructive doctor way. says. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Everybody's treatment is different. Everybody's body is different. Yeah. Everybody's situation is different in certain ways. Right. Um, and that's not always recognized. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if somebody put a picture up there of like, I ran four miles today. Great. You're going to have somebody else on the other side go, I did it and feel bad mm-hmm. and like they should. Or on the other hand, if somebody's like, it's weird. I just, have you ever experienced this before? Like I, you know, I've never felt this in my body. Do you think my doctor's right on this? Like I, I feel really sick yeah. and all these kinds of things. And like, I feel like this isn't really helping. And I feel like sometimes that can be constructive, but oftentimes with that feeds, it, when it's not posed in the best way, mm-hmm. it doesn't feed constructive dialogue around it. It just feeds a lot of like, well, my doctor said this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me yeah, throw yeah. out this like weird medication that my doctor gave me. Or like, my doctor, you know, didn't want me to do that. And I'll, I think my, a lot more of my examples tend to be more around the, the bone marrow yeah, transplant yeah, side yeah. of things. Yeah. 
I have more concrete examples around that than I do around the breast cancer yeah. side of things. Um, but I think social media can be a total tool mm-hmm. to help inspire people and connect people and make us all feel like, okay, we're all in this together. What yeah. you're experiencing is not crazy. Mm-hmm. How you're feeling today is not crazy. Yeah. You may have a partner tell you that. You may have someone else like not understand you, but it's just because from the place that they're coming from, they, there's no, they can't understand it. They yeah. don't know what you're going through yeah. or what you've been through. So it's, you know, finding so, people, it's a, so finding a, people that do have yeah. a good perspective on it and knowing that like, you're not totally alone in this yeah. is yeah. kind of the tool of social media in the positive way. Yeah. And it was the other so, side, it can be like a very like scary place too. And I eventually had to kind of avoid those Facebook groups. Yeah. Right. Cause they, yeah. but they weren't constructive for me. They weren't helpful tools. Yeah. Um, but everybody is different yeah. and how they need to like process information or get information or whatever. Yeah. It, it's so helpful because you can like find people like, like I found you, you're like around my same age. I, I'm like two years older than you, <laughs> but, um, it was like so helpful. Cause like the people that I was going to chemo with were all like, um, like in their sixties, you know? So it was yeah. different. So I didn't know anyone in real life yeah. that I, so it was helpful. It feels really would, lonely yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And then you, you told me about that great wig. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the best. They're yes, the best. I'm is. so glad that you got them. I love it. I, I see like you rock the wig so well. <laughs> so, okay. Then I want to know how long were you, um, in remission mm-hmm. from breast cancer and then what happened? Like were you feeling seriously Lindsay like what happened yeah, what happened, <laughs> what happened? Um, I just remember reading it on Instagram <laughs> oh my gosh yeah you know I I don't remember the exact time between I think I finished chemo maybe in February and then I found out maybe in June okay so pretty quickly after I may have actually been out of treatment for about a year. Okay. After the mastectomy. It was after how it long was after, after everything. The, okay. Right? So it was after I had healed, I was just like, okay, like I feel great. Yeah. We're we're good. Yeah. You know, obviously we still have to manage certain things and I have to take a, you know, like an estrogen suppressant. Samoxifen? No, I take an estrazole. Okay, okay, yeah. okay. So, you know, like being able to you know, estrogen suppressant for that. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the continued treatment. Is that right? as opposed to tamoxifen or? Um, it was just when I was talking to uh, my doctor, it's just a different way of okay. being able to manage the estrogen in your body. Yeah. And my body, I was initially on letrozole mm-hmm. and I was getting body aches and like really bad, um, like hot flashes. And so we switched to that to see if I'd manage it. And okay. it's been fine so far. Okay. Yeah. It's been a lot more helpful. Um, so it wasn't, it didn't feel like it was actually that long after probably like a year, Mm -hmm. I would say. And then in June of last year, so I just started dating somebody in February and I felt great. My hair was like looking really good. It was getting a lot longer. Your hair grows (laughs) so fast. Yeah, it was growing so fast and it felt so good, you know, and had this great new partner and, you know, it was awesome. And... I remember it started out as like body aches and I thought maybe it's because I'm getting active again and my body is just not as recovering as quickly. Maybe that's it. Maybe 
the PA that I went to see, he's like, I think you just sprained a groin muscle. That's probably it. Mm -hmm. Because my left hip was just killing me to the point, eventually I could not even walk across a room. Oh, wow. Like I was having to like lift my leg to get across the room. And I went from being able to run like seven miles with my boyfriend and feeling fine to sobbing as I walked across my living room, wow. trying to get to my bed so, and wondering what was happening. I just remember waking up one day and it took every single ounce of strength in me to crawl out of bed. And I had never experienced this before. It was the strangest thing. It was it, as if, you know, when you have those dreams where you can't move, like you're just like, like you can't, like when you're walking, you're like, I feel like I should be walking normal in my dream. And you're just like walking slow, you know, yeah. very, very slow. And like you're not some, getting, like a weight is yeah, on you're not you. getting anywhere. Yeah. It's really strange, right? It's like a, this really weird trapping feeling. So I was using my, my mind. I was just like, okay, we're going to, we're just going to wow. like, you know. And did you know that it was something bigger than just like the medicine that you were on or? I thought at first when I talked to my breast cancer oncologist, he was thinking, it's probably just something associated with like the estrogen treatment. It's probably affecting your bones, suppressing the estrogen. Mm -hmm. And within that, because of that, you're probably just aching more. It's mm -hmm. just more, it's just more achy. Yeah. And maybe you did pull a muscle and it just needs to heal. It takes a while to heal a groin muscle, mm -hmm. you know, from like running, maybe just take it easy. Uh, but I remember texting him and calling the clinic sobbing after I'd gotten out of bed and finally made my way to the living room. And I just got on the phone with him and I was like, I am not okay. <laughs> I know my body. I am not okay. Wow. There is something very wrong happening right now and I need you to figure it out. And so, so you were still going like every six months, were you going to get checked up, checked up from the doctor? Yeah, every three months, right? Every three months, every three okay. months I would go yeah. in to see him. We yeah. would do labs. We'd make sure that everything and looked everything okay. He would do like a visual okay. exam. Um, we would make sure the medication was working yeah. fine. We were great at doing check-ins. I would text him and let him know how I was doing. And I just remember, and he's such a, an amazing doctor in how he advocates for his patients, which is so special to find. Um, I text him and I was like, Dave, I, I need you to like take this seriously because these other doctors are not, and I know something's wrong, and I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I need you to help me figure it out. Yeah. And he basically, he just like went to bat for me, ordered every single test he could think of, and he goes, I'm going to do a lymphoma leukemia test. I don't think it's going to come up with anything. I've never seen it happen. I had basically like less than a half a percent chance of getting it. And with any chemo, like there's always a risk of secondary cancer, mm -hmm. but typically when it happens, it's a lot later, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot later. And my risk factors associated with it, less than a 1% chance, less wow. than half of a percent chance, you know, like it was so low that it wasn't even on my radar. I didn't even think about it. We didn't even talk about it really. And so he just went to bat, got all of the tests which was amazing. And I remember him calling me and I, I was standing in my kitchen. I remember calling him calling me and he's like, I am so sorry. Mm. He's like, 
and he, you could, I mean, I could just tell like he was absolutely just like heartbroken. He's like, I am so sorry that I have to tell you this. He's like, but you have leukemia and you have to come in like today because the thing with AML, and I don't know if this is, if this is all different types of leukemia. Mm-hmm. But what with is a- AML? So AML is acute myeloid leukemia. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And it's a particularly aggressive form of leukemia. Um, and if you don't start treatment right away, it will literally like kill you within days. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, so they, did they find it early or? They did. They did. They found it. I think what I've always known along the way is that because I know my body so well and I read my body really well and not in a paranoid way, it's just, I know when something is different wow. that I think because I tend to get on top of these things pretty quickly, it has helped with being able to get on treatment really quickly and, you know, yeah. And so, yeah. So I basically went in and he's like, I'm going to put you with this, with this hematologist. And I just have to say, like, I got so lucky with all the doctors I've had, like, it's just been insane. Yeah. Insane luck. A real quick. Um, yeah. What other doctors were you saying weren't T- taking you seriously. So was that just like your three month checkup doctors and what were your numbers? Okay. Your blood work. My numbers, numbers? were totally fine. Okay. That's so, the craziest wow. part yeah. is that unless you're testing for like leukemia blasts in your blood, mm-hmm. at least for me, you, you can't always tell. And I asked him that I was like, shouldn't we have known this from my labs that something was going yeah, wrong? And he's yeah. like, you, you can't always tell. And he's like, when we just run general CBCs or like your, met- you know, your metabolic panels and check your levels. He's like, we're not looking for anything. Well, why? What should, so should everyone that's going for a three month, a six month checkup, like ask to get checked for this extra? I think my, what I would totally recommend to people who are going through breast cancer treatment or have gone through breast cancer treatment is just to have a really honest, candid conversation with your doctor about the risks of secondary cancers Mm -hmm. from the chemo that they're giving you. Okay. Because I agreed with him to throw the kitchen sink at me to make sure I healed from breast cancer. I didn't get it again. Yeah. I agreed with him. And the risk of me getting something was so low that of course we would do that. Right. Yeah. Of course. But even if your risk is very low, I think being able to have that knowledge and being, and to know what you could be getting into and how you're going to approach that and manage that if it does happen. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, that, that empowers you and a lot and gives you all the knowledge you need. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like that's really important. You need to know what your risks are. So I, I felt like at first because, and he's an amazing breast cancer oncologist, but you know, doctors are not, it's not like house MD. Like they're not like, Oh, that's like, well, look for the weird thing. You know, yeah. they're like, no, this is like the thing. Yeah. Let's go for the majority thing. That's yeah. the easiest. So obviously he was like, oh, it's probably just related to your estrogen treatment. Right. Uh-huh. Your bones are aching from that. Yeah. That's and your I'm... labs are fine. Yeah. You're great. You're probably fine. Don't worry about it. Um, and then going to see the PA when my, you know, You're my gone. left hip was hurting and him just saying, I, I think it's just a physical injury. I think you probably pulled a muscle okay. or something. Yeah. You know? And so it was not until like a week or two after that where it just progressively got worse. And that's what I, I really 
push for it uh-huh. and ask them to figure it out. Yeah. Um, so he had me come in that day. Well, I mean, like, I think a really prolific moment is I called my boyfriend right away. And I was like, you, you need to, you need to come here mm-hmm. now. <laughs> and us just looking at each other and just like crying <laughs> because it was so heartbreaking. Um, yeah, that's tough. And so we went to the doctor's appointment and my breast cancer oncologist was like, he sat in on it with me. He didn't have to, but he did because I asked him to. And Dr. Godwin was there and he's an amazing hematologist, like absolutely amazing. He's been in the field forever. I adore him. And he laid it all out for me. We figured it out. And I had to, I went in to see him on a Friday. I went in for treatment on Monday. Wow. And it was insane because I was like, I was doing fine. Yes. Like, what did I do wrong? I was doing so well. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm back in chemo. What? (laughs) Yeah. And then also triggered within that, having already gone through something with a partner, I was like, I cannot do this again. Yeah. How long had you and your um, partner? Like four been months. Together? Four months. Like okay. four months. Yeah. And so he met you like when you were all healthy. Yeah, I was totally yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. I was like the hot like pixie chick, like yes. across, you know, pixie haircut chick, like across yeah. the bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And it just, com- you know, it just completely like turned life upside down, mm-hmm. even though we made the best of it. Mm-hmm set it off on something totally different. Yeah. You know? Um, and so with the AML treatment, what you end up doing, you go through what they call your induction chemo. And that initial round is supposed to put you in remission. And it works like 80% of the time. Like majority of the time, you go into remission with it. And I did. Mm-hmm. They have to do bone marrow biopsies. The only way that they can tell whether or not it's working or that you've gone into remission is doing a bone marrow biopsy, which is the craziest procedure I've ever gone through. What is it? What do you do? So basically they take a giant needle (laughs) and they locally numb an area on your hip. So if you look at like the, my lower back, I have like tiny pinprick scars all across my back. Okay. Because I have to go in your right hip, your left like on the back, right? Yeah. And your bones right there. And so they basically like tap your bones to try to get a sample of your marrow. They cannot numb the inside oh, so of your bone. Hurts. And it is the craziest oh. feeling in the world. It like the pain just like radiates through your body. And I, it was so traumatic. So traumatic. My boyfriend sat in on like a couple of them and he was like, we need to figure something else out because I have a very high pain tolerance and I was just sobbing. Wow. Like it was so painful. It's like torture. Now That's I figured like out. Torture. They finally offered me. They're like, you know, we can give you local, like you, we can put you under. What? <laughs> Thanks so much for letting me know you guys. <laughs> so we go under now. We get like the nice drugs. Okay. It's a nice experience now. <laughs> Feels very happy. Okay. It's totally okay. Well, yeah, they should have maybe <laughs> told you that. I know, I know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we did the induction chemo. That went really well. Got into remission. And then you have to do a maintenance chemo later because okay. AML is so aggressive, it doesn't stay in remission without doing something pretty drastic, which 
was the craziest thing to have to hear. I was like, okay, we'll just do chemo, right? Like, we'll be fine. It'll yeah, be fine. Like chemo, like every three weeks or? Yeah, like we'll just, no, I had to be in the hospital. So you oh, have, you're yes. in the hospital. Okay. So they put you in the hospital. And I think the first, when I went for induction chemo, I think I was in there for a month. Okay. Because, you know, once you go through chemo, all your counts drop. You go to zero. You're nadir, right? And this chemo was a lot different from the breast cancer. I got through breast cancer chemo pretty well. Yeah. This chemo slayed me. Like I look at pictures from that time and I was so gray and just like so sick. (laughs) I was so sick. So did you just like what you lived in the hospital for a month? Yeah. Would you, could you walk around or Um, were you just in your bed? They put you in isolation. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. They pretty much isolate you in your room. So what do you do? I made art. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. At yeah. least, I i mean, thats that was my outlet. Yeah. And it became this thing, so they do their rounds every morning. Dr. Oh, yeah, because you don't, you don't watch movies. <laughs> I, I did, like, a little bit, but I'm, I'm still not that great at it. Yeah. I'm really not good at watching movies and TV. <laughs> could your boyfriend come in or give... Oh, yeah, you yeah. Have, like, okay, everybody yeah. could come in. Okay. Um, my boyfriend would come. He spent the night with me in the hospital and, like all the treatment that I've had so often, you know? Um, and yeah, so he could come in, my family could visit. I remember it was July 4th because I had a girlfriend of mine bring over a bunch of like July 4th decorations. We decorated, we watched the fireworks from the hospital window. Um, it was really sweet. And yeah, I just made art and your doctors do rounds every morning. It's your doctor, it's your NP, it's your pharmacist, your nurse at the time, you know, like a, a group of people that come in and they kind of give you an update on what's going on, what they're going to do that day. Mm-hmm. And so it became a thing where they would come in and we almost do like a little art critique. They'd like, oh, what I made that day, you know, we'd talk about it for a while. I'm, you know, the room was like really like decorated. There was like paintings everywhere. And it became like a really, like the three times I've had to stay in the hospital for the two chemos plus the bone marrow transplant. I make sure like my room is this place of just like creativity, like my nurses have always come in and just been like, I, I want to stay. Like, I don't want to go to any, anywhere else. Like, I yeah. just kind of want to hang out here. And so, and I've had, I had somebody end up buying some of my art because I saw it in my room when they came and did rounds, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Um, yeah. And so I made a, a ton of art and that occupied my time yeah. quite a bit. That first month though, because I think it had taken me, it knocked me out of my normal or the new normal that I had finally gotten back mm-hmm. so drastically that that month that I was in there, that first month was so hard physically and mentally. It was exhausting. And it was like, I felt so trapped. I just felt like I was going to go crazy. Like I was like, I, like get me out of here. Like yeah. I, I, I do like, this is the weirdest feeling in the world to feel so not only trapped by your body, but trapped in like a physical room and having people tell you, you are not allowed to leave this room. Oh my God. And as a really active person yeah. who is like constantly on the go, that it's just, that's one of the hardest, it's one of the hardest things I've ever had to like go through mentally and to stay focused on and be like, okay, this serves a purpose. Yeah. It were, serves a purpose. With your art, were you, would you say that this treatment has, pushed you more into your art or were you already like 
I know you were already an artist, but has it like, has your art changed or have you, do you put more into your art after this experience? Or does art mean something more to you now or has it changed at all? I, I think I've used it as a vehicle for healing, mm -hmm. obviously. It's a way that I have been able to, like, heal physically and to, I think, rest my mind at times. And to, it's my own personal meditation when I can yeah. do it. So through the process, my aesthetic, I noticed that I was doing a lot more just kind of bold, mm -hmm. you know, strokes of, like, bright reds and really dark darks and very dramatic. And I don't, because I, I create, I paint abstracts. Yeah. I, do, I don't like to come up with a ton of meaning around them because I, I love the fact my approach to painting and painting abstracts and why I love it so much is that the pure emotion and intent of it mm -hmm. um, in that, in the moment, right? You, I pull from the energy around me. I pull from the feelings I have at the time and I put them there. I would have people come in and go, I can see that you have more darkness in this one. So it's probably because you're going through like a dark part of your like journey with cancer. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I don't think that's right. Like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't think that's the thing. I think it's just because when you're going through this, you have so many emotions that are both light and dark. Yeah. And you have different moments of engaging with both of them. And it's not a precious thing. It's not like a, we need to assign meaning to every single piece of it. Mm -hmm. It's just the pure energy and emotion that you have the time that you yeah. have to like get out of your body. Yeah. And so I was painting like bigger things and I was really like using my hands on the canvas and, um, you know, moving with my body when I was like doing this and really allowing it to be a very kind of intuitive process. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's so beautiful. I Thank love you. It. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank and you. you. You've just curated your whole Instagram. It's just so beautiful and like lively. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I had I had some really just amazing people around me. Uh, commissioned me for larger pieces mm -hmm. so that was really great because yeah. I'm like thank you so much for giving me something to do yeah. and for appreciating this. <laughs> um, so that was really awesome. It's really cool to see pieces I made at that time mm -hmm. in people's houses right? Because that's, there's a, a really big story attached to those, yeah. you know? Um, so that's, I don't know if that's really special. That is very special. Yeah. Um, so um, after your one month in the hospital that was so trying for you, then did, did it get easier? Or I mean, you still had lots of chemo and then you had the eventual bone marrow transplant. So, so the discussions, and I don't remember when they started, I think they actually started before my induction chemo, and it may have been on that Friday when we had to talk about everything. Mm -hmm. But the option, you don't have an option to just do chemo. You mm -hmm. can't, like, cut the leukemia out. Okay. It doesn't work that way. It's a very strange cancer to have because Especially it's, it's so your entire young. body. It's your entire system. Yeah. It's not like I could look at the breast cancer and I could go, okay, it's this very concrete thing that I can wrap my mind around. And there are also environmental and lifestyle factors that help you manage it and can help you, you know, 
maybe not get a recurrence, yeah. maybe not have it to begin with. We can't manage all of that. You can't get paranoid about it, mm-hmm. but there are, there are more, there's more research that points to very concrete things. Yes. Right. There isn't that with leukemia or AML specifically. The only lifestyle factor, risk factor is smoking. Wow. That's it. And, and I was not, not a chronic smoker. smoker. I'm not a smoker. Yeah. And so that's the only thing that they can point to. So it's very strange having something that you cannot put your finger on, you know? So what are you like when the doctors are telling you this? Like what, were you just like shocked or what was your, I think I was told, you know, reaction? going through, when I went through breast cancer, I accepted that in this kind of like very matter of fact way. Like, okay, we got to go through this. Let's mm-hmm. do this. Let's go through it. And when I, because I was so unprepared for the leukemia piece, I think because my grandma had breast cancer twice, I was more aware of it. And I was like, okay, we might have a genetic link. It could happen. I think subconsciously, that's why I, I might have been okay. Like I might, I was like, oh, of course this happens. Like Mm -hmm. there, there might have been a chance there. Yeah. Um, but with leukemia, like, I didn't know anybody that had it. Oh. And AML usually affects people that are older. So when I go into my clinic for my appointments, and this is not to sound derogatory, and I don't want to sound like a jerk, but I feel like I'm in a nursing home. Yeah. Full of 80-year-olds. Yeah. And they're all wonderful disease. people, and yeah. they're going through their own thing. But yeah. there is not a lot. There are not a lot of people that look like me or my age. Yeah. That are going through this. Have you been able to find other people your Absolutely. age on Instagram or on Absolutely. social media? Absolutely. Okay. And I get connected with younger people all the time because it is so rare uh-huh. that I am able to now offer some perspective and connect with people that have yeah. either been newly diagnosed with ML, have gone through bone marrow transplant, and I, and I have been able to connect with people who are closer to my age who have gone through mm-hmm. bone marrow transplants, right? which has been really great. And social media, again, has really come through for me on that front. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, you go through this like month of being in the hospital. We're in remission now. But what I had to think about and the really hard part is that you go through these milestones and you're like, okay, did that. That was so hard. You know, even for me, like that was so difficult. And I kept looking ahead and I was like, I have so much more to do in order to stay alive. And that was the first time in my life where I was like, is it worth it? (laughs) I was like, is this worth it? Can I do this again? Can I go through everything I have to go through with my body, everything I have to go through with my emotions, everything, like all this treatment, the ups and downs, the like feeling sick, the fear of like not knowing if it's going to work and all of this and potentially losing my partner again. Mm. And I'm such a romantic, like heartbreak just slays me. <laughs> like it just slays me. Like I, I love so deeply and so big and like just that idea. Like I was like, I would rather die than have to go through that again. Mm. <laughs> you know, it just was awful. Yeah. Um, and was, how has he been with it? Great. Right. Yeah, great. You know, I think what you realistically look at is I date somebody that they have really beautiful core values. Mm -hmm. Like the core of who my partner is, is is kindness and empathy. So from that, even when there are like hard times or difficult times, 
he operates from that space, right? And I think that's made a lot of the difference. Having to hear in that meeting, like, the only way to get through this is to go through a bone marrow transplant. What? I was what, like... Was he in the meeting with you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I was just like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> Did you even know I what a like, bone marrow transplant was? I would just be like... No, what? I was like, well, I had... Fortunately, I had had a friend of mine. She was a bone marrow transplant nurse. Oh, my god! Actually, gosh. in the unit where I ended up having my bone marrow transplant. And oh. I had heard about it from her years ago. Mm-hmm. But when she talked about it, it was like her job. And she was like, it's so sad. <gasps> she's like, the thing I gathered was like, she's like, you'll develop these relationships with people. You'll see them doing great. You'll have like a young person come in, come in, do a bone marrow transplant because it's so risky. And then they'll just die. So you have to deal with, she has to deal with loss all the time of her patients. With really highs and like really lows with this, the, all of this because it's so high risk. And what were you, what so that did, was the space I was coming from. Like, yeah. I'm like, you know, when you watch like a sci-fi movie or like Wolverine where they completely replace his entire system <laughs> with like metal, you know, I'm like, that's what I felt like. I was like, oh my God, like you're gonna, what were this you is like so when, sci-fi and strange. Yeah. When they told you <laughs> bone marrow transplant, when you were sitting there at the doctor's office, what were you, what were you like? It's like looking Okay, it's like somebody telling you, you have one way to live, one option to live. And it could possibly be the thing that kills you. Like, you need to do this thing, and you need to face the fact that, like, what you're doing, it'll either make you way better, or it, like... yeah. It's like, if you want to live, you have to walk through this fire. (laughs) It's like, let me stab you with this sword. Yeah. But it might be okay. Oh, my God. You (laughs) know? Were you just like... I was just so fed up. I was so angry. (gasps) I was so angry. I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) And I got a second opinion on it. You know, I had an amazing transplant doctor. She sent my case to an uh, AML researcher up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Highly reco- like recommended, highly respected, does a ton of research on AML. And he was like, that, that's the only thing. And so getting second and third opinions on that, Dave, my breast cancer oncologist, he tapped one of his friends at Sloan Kettering and was like, here's her case. If you were her bone marrow transplant doctor, what would you recommend? And he was like, bone marrow transplant. It's the only thing she can do. It's the only thing. Wow. And so I had to grapple with that, definitely, you know, but I knew at the end of the day I had done all I could to find other options mm-hmm. and to, to do that. And I, it was one of those things, again, that was like... You have to. You have to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the movie, the documentary about the dude that climbed. I'm, like, totally blanking on the name of it right now. It won the Oscar. Oh. Free Solo. Yes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So have you seen Free Solo? Uh, is, is it with um, Franco, James Franco? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's that? Like when he gets his It could be stuck. in the remake of okay, it, you okay, know. Okay. He does everything. But no, it was a, it's a documentary. So okay, Free okay, Solo okay. is about a free climber okay. that climbs El, El Cap, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. No one's ever Where finished is it. it. 
Yosemite. Okay, okay. And when I watched that, and the way he was talking about it was like, going through bone marrow transplant was like my LCAP. Like, wow. You did, like, no ropes, just mm-hmm. hopefully you make it. Mm-hmm. And the amount of like mental, like, focus that you have to have to do that is, to me, is like akin to when I climbed Mount St. Helens, like, you know, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, yeah, absolutely insane. So crazy. Right? So what is, for people that don't know, yeah. slash me, yeah. Yeah. what I is it? it? <laughs> I mean, I, I saw what you were going through on Instagram, but yeah, like, totally. can you explain yeah. what it is and what you, you had, like, a European guy yeah. that gave you his bone <laughs> my, my European lover. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, we don't know what country he's from. I want okay. to pretend he's French because I want to be French. Yeah. So we're just going to pretend that for right now. Um, yeah. So what they do is basically they take your blood and they, you know, they get all the types of your, they look at all your genes, right? Mm-hmm. They... Look at everything you are, your blood type. Here's you on this level, on this like very like molecular level, yeah. what you're made up of. And they go to a bone marrow, you know, you have a bone marrow donor, mm-hmm. a donation bank. Um, and all these people have, have swabbed their cheeks, sent them in, they have their DNA stored, and they run you run all of your numbers, all of your info against this database of people's DNA. And they come up with matches for you. And there are a lot of different, like it's really up to the transplant doctor what matches she wants, she thinks is the best. There are certain, and I don't even know all the ins and outs, um, but there are certain risk factors they look at. It's better to have a male donor versus a female donor often. Um, age can often be a factor. They want a younger donor versus an older donor. Okay. And how can anyone become a donor or what, how, like, could Kylie here, our producer, could she just be like, I'm totally healthy. I want to be a bone marrow donor or do you? Yeah. So you go to be the match and it's a really simple process. They, if you meet the criteria, so there's certain, and they have it all on their website, be the match.org, what you can and can't have as a donor, um, obviously, because I've had leukemia, I can't be a, a mm-hmm. bone marrow donor, but yeah. most healthy people can totally sign up. It's so easy. They send you a kit in the mail, you swab your cheek, you send it back. So basically with a bone marrow transplant, people think it's like surgery, you know, it's not. You basically, you go in, you check in and you get what's called ablative chemo. And this is like being hit by like the semi truck of chemos. Like worse than anything you've ever experienced. Yes. Because even the torture. Even the torture. On your back. Well, and the, the chemo, it's like the torture. No, the bone marrow biopsies are by far the worst <laughs> thing that I've ever experienced in my life um, <laughs> physically. Um, no, the ablative chemo, its role is to completely, it's like a nuke to your system because what it's doing is it is taking your immune system away, right? It's yeah. completely nuking all of the, all of your stuff. Yeah. And in order to make a home for the donor cells. 
so I'm going to read this because I, I want to make sure I get this right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so basically, it's taking, so my donor was a 36-year-old dude from, we don't know where, Europe, the country of Europe. <laughs> how come he, How come you can't have more information about him? Or why do they want to keep So because it? the bone marrow transplant is such high risk, so high okay. risk. If you're a donor and you're going through the process of being a donor and giving this and going, oh my God, I'm saving someone's life. Like mm -hmm. you're not as a recipient out of the clear for two years. Okay. So I can't meet him or know who he is for two years because the risk of me dying yeah. in the first two years is so high okay. that they don't, like the emotional ramifications yeah. of that to a donor would just yeah. be really. So after two years, you could meet him? After two years. Will you meet him? I hope so. Okay. I mean, I feel like I'll just lose it. Yeah, but like, you want to. Oh, absolutely. Oh I think that'll be so special to be able to meet somebody and look at somebody that yeah. is like part of me yes. now. He we saved have, your life. You know, and he saved my life. Like yeah. how often do you get to meet the somebody like you almost die yeah. and Gosh. meet the person that saves your life. I feel like you guys need to like make a party happen. Like he needs to like fly Somebody, somebody really romanticized it. I was talking to my wig guy about it actually. And he's like, wouldn't that be amazing if you go to Europe and you meet him and you fall in love. Oh and then you, I was like, I don't think my boyfriend would really be into that story, but I, I like how much you like are excited about yeah, this. Yeah, that's an exciting story. Yeah, I was super thinking exciting. we could just fly him out to Portland. You can invite all the people in your life. I know. I love it. I know. I love it. Wine. Well, and for me, fun. until two years after, I'm not going to be at peace. Yeah. My immune system is not even fully recovered until like a year after my transplant. Because you're basically given like the immune system of a baby that yeah. has to grow inside of you. Yeah. And it's just an infusion. Like on transplant day, once you've gone through the sublative chemo that's completely wiped out your system, you, bas you basically have no immune system for two days. So that was really scary. I had no defenses. Mm -hmm. So if I caught something or if an infection sprouted up in my body, my body had no recourses. Like it's a really scary critical time yeah. that I was really thankful to get through. And they come in on transplant day and they consider it your day zero. It's your rebirth day. It's your new birthday, right? And it's your day zero. So they count out from day zero. I'm at day my mom counted this for me yesterday. I'll look at her text. <laughs> I think. Oh, I'm on day 153 today. Wow. Yeah. First 100 days are the most critical. Uh-huh. So, you know. You're 53 so I made it 53 more. It's great. And then what is the next mile marker? Like day is 180 it, is day when they do a follow-up, another follow-up. So you get a bone marrow biopsy on day 100. Just make sure you're still good. Mm -hmm. Everything looks good. The transplant's working. Um, I go in for labs. I was going in for labs and checking in multiple times a week. Now I only have to go in every three weeks, once a month, mm -hmm. which is pretty major. Yeah. Um, and that day zero, it's a tiny infusion that they do. If they infuse you over, I think it was, depending on the size of like back, how many donor cells that they give you, um, one, two hours, three hours, and that's it. It's super anticlimactic. You know, it's really exciting, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's, and it's the craziest thing. And it's really weird to sit there and think, oh my God, I'm like the thing that's going inside of me right now is my new immune system and the thing that's yeah. going to keep me alive and hopefully it doesn't backfire. <laughs> so what, um, like now are you, like if someone's 
if you're at the grocery store and someone sneezes, is is do you have to like run other way or is it like a big deal still? You know, I people go a couple different ways on this. I mean, if someone sneezes at the grocery store, I run away. So. Oh no, I'm very like I avoid children like the plague. Okay, okay. you know they're like we might have the same immune system right now. Like my immune system is basically like a one year old's, but I no. Yeah. Not messing with that germ factory. Like, yeah, can't, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And during viral season, because I got my bone marrow transplant in November in the middle of like a really terrible flu season. Yeah. I really made sure to avoid public places and okay. wear my mask. Five months out, I'm not, you have to be really careful, but we're out of virus season and I'm, I don't wear my mask anymore. I would always advise anybody to consult with your doctors on that, obviously, mm-hmm. and to do what feels best for you. I know somebody that still does. He wears his mask a lot more when he's in crowded places. I just went to like a design party at a show with a ton of people and didn't, and I'm fine. Yeah. You have to manage your own risks and you have to, I think it's quality of life and it's your health Mm -hmm. and for quality of life then to make sure I can feel normal again and to kind of get my life back. I have to have those moments of doing the things that I love to do. Yeah. And not being so paranoid or worried all the time that I'm going to get sick. Yeah. But I still, you know, like I can't get on an airplane right now because. For how long? A year, a year. after. Okay. Um, they kind of made an exception because I've been doing so well that I can probably fly in September. Okay. But it, for about a year. Yeah. Yeah, you can't. Um, and so then once you are out a year, then you're just going to have to go every couple months for checkups or are they planning on you completely being good after two years? Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. They actually say that's now the that the goal. research shows that if you don't relapse in the first year, that's a really, really good indicator mm-hmm. that you don't. And then at two years, it's definitely like really good. Two years used to be like the standard. Okay. It's a way that's that way with breast cancer too. Yeah. Right. If I was talking about having kids, my breast cancer oncologist didn't want me to go off of my estrogen treatment take out my IUD, any of that for two years. Okay. Right. Yes. After yeah. I was considered yeah. in remission. Um, but they go by the one year mark. So I am kind of like my one year mark. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't really track my days anymore because yeah. I don't care about the days. I care about the one year. The year. Right. So that's what I'm going toward. That's my eyes on the prize on that. Yeah. And so we're, you know, every day is just kind of wonderful to be able to have. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, the entire process of just recovering from that and coming home and 100 days. So they put you on 100 days of not being able to eat anything fresh. You don't really want to leave the house. Like hand washing. The house has to be like really clean all the time. I couldn't pick up after the dog. I couldn't wash the dishes. I couldn't cook. Like a lot of different factors because what they're trying to do is while your counts recover, they don't want you to get into a situation where you get an infection or you get sick yeah. and your body can't fight it, which is pretty natural with like my nature. I always try to do too much <laughs> yeah. and I don't sit still. And I was probably doing way too much, way too soon, mm-hmm. I'm sure. But I also listened to my body and I knew when it was time to like start working out again yeah. or running again or being able to kind of go out again or... You know, I, I watch like the things that I eat, like to make sure that they don't, you know, 
like your gut recovering from chemo and all of that can't always process yeah. fresh things as well as it used to. It's, but it's getting better, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a huge risk of, so you go through the bone marrow transplant, but there's a huge risk of what they call GVHD, which is graft-versus-host disease. And so that lingers all the time in my mind. And what that is, is basically your body fighting against the new cells and creating these kind of anti-inflammatory responses to it. I've been fortunate enough to like have had very low grade GVHD that we've been able to solve with, without steroids with, Mm -hmm. you know, pretty easily and manage them pretty easily. But there's always the risk of developing it later because it can be triggered by getting a sunburn, for example, because that's a, that's inflammation in your body. Um, a number of different factors, uh, getting sick, stress, all of those things. So are you, how are you handling all of this? Are you, um, I mean, it doesn't sound like you're living in fear and it sounds like you're staying so positive is you, you said you just started going to therapy. So yeah. that's something that's been helping you. Absolutely. You know, for me, it was really important not to put, because I have, because when you're surrounded by people that love you mm-hmm. and you're going through something like you obviously want to, like you consult them and talk to them about what you're going through because you want to be really honest about those things. But I was just noticing that I was getting to the point where I was putting too much on my partner mm-hmm. and too much on my friends and processing with them in a way that I felt wasn't healthy. I think people understood, but I was like, I think I just need to go see somebody once a week and yeah. unload on them. So then the conversations I do have with like my friends and my partner are a little bit more constructive and healthy and more asking for what I need in a healthy way. That is so smart to do. Well, I, like it's, I mean, such a... yeah, it's not been easy, yeah. but he stretched the imagination, like coming to that conclusion, but it was really an important goal for me to do that. And I kind of feel like everyone, no matter what kind of cancer, like big or small should, mm-hmm. that's a positive thing to do for any kind anyone. of trauma in your life. Really? Yeah. We yeah. carry a lot of stuff with us yeah. that we want to pretend is not there mm-hmm. and being able to take care of ourselves and recognize that not everything is okay. And like developing our own reality, not the reality we were handed mm-hmm. is really important. And you are in charge of that. I have a very no fear approach to life now which is also very positive because I tend now to attract the opportunities I want, the career that I want now. My art is really doing amazing and taking off and I'm doing a lot of great events and shows and selling work, which is great. But that's because I I put my intention there, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's, I have a no fear approach. I ask for what I want and I know my limitations. I'm really honest about them. Yeah. And I'm honest about the things that I need to work on. And how much I'm struggling. I struggle a lot with like just being sad right now. Really? Yes. Yeah. I'll just, I, I will like have total days where I am so melancholy and I'm so sad and I just don't want to do it anymore, you know? And that's the honesty. That's the honest side of things. And that's okay to admit. It's okay to admit that you're not okay sometimes. Yeah. And here's what you're going to do about it. You don't sit in it, but sometimes you have to feel you have to feel the good with the bad. We can't just have these like perfect lives all the time and pretend like nothing bothers us. Yeah. Cause that's not how we're wired as humans. Yeah. You know, it's so, <laughs> it's so crazy though, because you, 
It, you went through the craziest thing, but it still looks like you are living your life to the fullest and just talking to you. And it's not just how it looks. It's not just how you're curating your Instagram. Like it really, you seem like you have got it put together. You seem like you're living every day to the fullest. I mean, um, it, it, you, you have your life like settled how you want it other than this, what you're going through well, right absolutely. now, you know, your career and you're yeah. happy. You have your love. Like it, I think it's good to be able to look at all of that and go, you're doing really great in all these areas. Right. And, and be really happy with like the direction I'm going in and mm-hmm. still be able to admit that I, you have I, sad days. I have really sad days. Relationships are hard. Yeah. They take a lot of work and yeah. understanding. And when you've gone through something as major as a health crisis, an unexpected health crisis, that twice, puts, <laughs> twice, like that puts a lot, you yeah. know, and being really honest about that and just going, I do live my life to the fullest and I'm trying to do the best that I can. And I push myself to do that every single day. And I wake up with intention mm-hmm. and I wake up with like, a vision of what I, how I want things to go. That's amazing. Everyone should do that too. I mean, I think it helps. Yeah. It it definitely helps to like, what I want to try to impart to people is without having to go through everything that I've gone through, (laughs) that being able to not take life for granted, the Mm -hmm. moments that you have, the people around you to really truly invest in yourself and to surround yourself with people that truly want to invest in you Mm -hmm. and also to have just a lot of grace in the process too is what I've learned. I try to have, I found myself because I ask so much of myself that I sometimes turn that critical eye to other people and my best friend will call it on me, call me on it. My boyfriend will call me on it and I see it too. And it's usually a reflection of just because I am so hard on myself and I ask so much of myself that it, it gets put out mm-hmm. that way, yeah. right? And so the thing that I'm learning right now within the process of giving myself grace and loving myself within all of this is trying to do the same thing for the people around me. Mm-hmm. You're fine where you're at. You're good where you're at. Don't take life for granted. Do the thing that like gives you the most joy and don't hold on to fear and don't let fear be the thing that holds you back from doing the thing that you want because in my mind all of life is negotiable, right? Yeah. All of life is negotiable. If you look at something and you go, I can't possibly do that. I can't possibly like get that job I want or move to that place that I want or have that relationship that I want or whatever. In my experience, if you put your intention there and you ask for what you want and you go after it and you do it in a way that is not completely disrupted by the risk factors and the fear factors, keeping them in mind, but not letting them control the situation, mm-hmm. you'll start to go the way that you need to go. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to get through a bone marrow transplant. Sometimes you just have to <laughs> go through a lot of weird stuff, Crazy. guys. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you should also be your, in your next career uh, uh, like a motivational speaker. You're so motivating. Am I the next Oprah? Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> you seriously are. I could totally see you as Oprah. Um, this has been so fun. And thank you so much for sharing your story. Thanks so much for having me here. This was so special. Thank you. I've been wanting to meet you for 
what, two years now, I think it is. So, um, yeah. I just you. had to go through some more stuff to make this yeah. worthwhile. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I would have had you on two years ago. We could have just talked about wigs the whole time and, like, chemo, breast cancer chemo, which doesn't even seem like that big of a deal. Now. I know. It's so crazy how that works in life, right? <laughs> but it's, it was so nice to have you, and I want to come to your party with your bone marrow. Um, oh, my gosh. Guy. You guys are both in. Everybody, come yes. to my party. Yes. You should make him a painting. Oh, I know. I, I love that idea. Yeah. I love that idea. Okay, well, thank you for coming. Oh, and just real yeah. quick, tell everyone where they can find you. Oh, um, yeah. On Instagram and also your website for your art. For sure. Yeah, my um, my Instagram is the best place for you to find me. It's <laughs> at Messenger Bird. Okay. So follow me there and message me there. And then my website is MeganCurseMusicArt.com. Cool. Yeah. And you could find out how to spell her last name. Exactly. On on my Instagram. Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. That was so fun. So special.